Good morning. Thank you for being here. Forest Hill Church is one church, four campuses. Uh, we are thankful that you're here and praise God for your presence. So we are trying to expand into the Waxhaw community permanently and also on the South Boulevard corridor where we're trying to minister to a very fragile community. Uh, we're going to have a campus there too. Uh, that's why we did a So That campaign. We began that in September in case you've forgotten. I wanted to give you the update. We have an $8 million goal that's before us as of this week. Folks, we are at 7.6 million dollars toward the 8 million. Would you thank God for that? We are so thankful. That's 95% of the goal. We're right there breathing on the step of our goal. So if you've not participated and there's still some hundreds of family uh, givers in the church that have not given yet, just think a little bit from all of you pushes us over that goal and we'll be able to have what we need to expand in the next couple of years. It's a two-year commitment. Uh, some have given very large gifts. We're thankful for that. Most have been just very small gifts and people just giving what they can. Just please remember, Paul in 2 Corinthians 9, 7 said, those who sow sparingly reap sparingly. Those who sow abundantly reap abundantly. God is the ultimate giver when we participate in a giving nature. He does amazing, miraculous things for us. So please uh, keep that in mind. We'll pray in the next couple few weeks we can pass that $8 million goal, and that would be a wonderful accomplishment for this great church that you've allowed me to pastor for all of these years. Um, we have been looking at the book of Obadiah, glancing at it over the last month, and the purpose of this series has been to help make you aware of the persecuted church. Uh, it is a real situation in the world. In fact, Jesus said the pupil's not greater than the master. He promised if we follow him that we will be persecuted. Most of what we in America seem as persecution is like a mere annoyance in comparison to what the world goes through. Uh, so we want to continue this series today. Marilyn's going to share in just a moment with me about what we experienced in India. Before I do so, let me go back over what we've looked at with the book of Obadiah, then look at verses 15 in our text today. And if you have your Bibles, please open up to Obadiah. It's a small little book in the Old Testament. It was written by a prophet named Obadiah, obviously. The time was right after the Babylonian captivity when God used the nation of Babylon as his instrument of judgment against the Israelites for their apostasy. And the book of Obadiah talks about God's anger against a nation called Edom. Now, in case you don't know, in the Bible, uh, there were two twin brothers that were the grandsons of Abraham, the founder of the nation of Israel, uh, Jacob and Esau. God chose to work through Jacob in Israel's formation to continue his covenant promise. Esau's descendants ultimately became the nation of Edom, and they were a thorn in the flesh of the Israelites for decades, even centuries. And this is a message from God to the nation of Edom that he's going to judge them for persecuting his people. That's the message. God will not allow any nation to persecute his people without one day having to face justice. So in verse 1, the book of Obadiah opens up, thus says the Lord concerning Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among all the nations. Rise up, let us go against her in battle. So God's going to do battle against Edom for what Edom has done to Israel. Now, Edom had great pride, as we see in verse 3. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling. So the Edomites had a capital city called Petra, the rock city. It's still in existence today. What they would do is live in the rocks, climb down off of their perch, go invade other nations, especially Israel, then take their loot back to the walled city, take their ropes back up into the clefts, pull the ropes back up, and they felt they were impregnable. That's why they had pride in their dwelling places. 
They say in their hearts, who will bring me down to the ground? In verse 3. Verse 4, though you soar aloft like an eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there God says, I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Those who persecute my people, I will bring you down. Then in verses 5 through 9, God says, you know, thieves come and plunder in the night, but they leave something. Those who harvest leave some grain behind for the poor and others. But you Edomites, God said, you leave nothing, but you have no understanding, verse 7, that one day I will judge you for the way that you have treated my people. Then in verses 10 through 13, we read, verse 10, because of the violence done to your brother Jacob. There's Jacob and Esau, parallel. Shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. Verse 12, do not gloat over the day of your brother. So when Babylon came in and was used as God's instrument to judge Israel, Edom gloated over that. And in fact, the text tells us, verse 13, do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. As Babylon took the nation of Israel's people, oftentimes in neck braces, led away Edom came into the city of Jerusalem, looted it completely, and then did something else we'll look at in just a second. God said, do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Then verse 14, do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. The other thing Edom did was not only did they loot Jerusalem after Babylonian captivity, but as Israel was being led away, they took the, the stragglers, the people at the end of the line that Babylon was leading away, they kidnapped them, and they sold them into slavery. They sold them into sex trafficking. God said, don't do that, but indeed, Edom did do that. And in verses 15 through 18, today's text, we see what God has to say to the nation of Edom. If you're able, out of reverence for the reading of the scripture, placing ourselves under its authority, would you please stand? God says through Obadiah, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. God will judge every nation on the face of this earth. Matthew 25, Jesus in his second coming says he gathers all the nations before him. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your head. Nations will reap what they sow. And if nations have persecuted God's people, they will ultimately pay for it one day. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. Now, real quickly, that's an image, a metaphor of the wrath of God. Continually in the Old Testament, we see that God forces nations to drink of the cup of his wrath. He pours out his anger upon them, and they have to drink of the cup of his wrath. Keep that in mind at the end of the message. It's a wonderful metaphor in the life of Jesus, too. The other idea is they shall drink and they shall swallow. It's the whole idea, and some of you know of this reality, in your addictions, especially alcohol, you drink your alcohol, and for a moment you feel good, don't you? But then what happens the next day? You drink and you swallow and then you act like it's never happened. I mean, you go through all kinds of turmoil. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy. The house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. And the house of Joseph, who was the descendant of Jacob, his son, the house of Joseph will be a flame. And the house of Esau will be a what, folks? A stubble. 
They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. So God says here, even though you, Edom, have persecuted my children, Israel, Israel will continue to exist. There'll be a fire and a flame. But you, Esau, you, Edom, you'll be a stubble. There'll be no survivor ever in the nation of Edom when God judges it. That's what he says. That's what the Lord declares. Now, let me make this a little clearer for you. How many of you have a Jewish friend or know someone who's Jewish? Just raise your hand if you do. Yeah, most all of us. They're wonderful people in so many ways, godly, good people. So so we all have met a Jewish person. They've continued to exist from this moment in the 6th century B.C. The nation of Israel continues to exist, right? Right? Have any of you recently met an Edomite? (laughs) Thus saith the Lord. You may be seated. So, so this series is about the persecuted church. We, we had Nagame Abedini here. Remember her? her? Her husband, Pastor Said, has been wrongly imprisoned in the Tevion prison in Tehran. Uh, just to let you know, uh, Representative Robert Pittenger from North Carolina, along with Democratic Representative Joe Kennedy, are trying to pass a bipartisan sense of legislation, going to Iran, especially this week as they're doing all the nuclear talks with Iran, and demanding that Iran set Pastor Said free. So would you praise God for that? And this week, pray for Robert Pittenger and Joe Kennedy and others who are trying to do a bipartisan deal with President Obama to set Pastor Saeed free. We also then the next week had Hikmat Kashu come from Lebanon where he's ministering among the displaced Syrian refugees, many of them Christians being persecuted because of their love for Jesus. Today is yet another message as Marilyn and I share about what we experienced in the nation of India. We got back about two weeks ago. The Extraordinary persecution there should move all of our hearts. She's going to help me share about it today. Would you welcome to the platform the woman who's loved me for 36 plus years, my wife, Marilyn. And thank you for putting up with me for 36 plus years. I said thank you at the last service, and that wasn't the right answer. No, that wasn't the right answer, no. Okay, thank you for putting up with me for 36 years. It's been a joy putting up with you. It's been a joy, Thank you for joining me on the platform. Thank you. We had a wonderful experience yeah. in India, didn't we? We did. We have stories to tell. The fact is, folks, mm-hmm. the church has been persecuted for 2,000 years. And mm-hmm. interestingly, that persecution was exacerbated con- uh, considerably in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And then interestingly, Marilyn, what happened in 2013? Well, what most people don't realize is that persecution is heated up so much that in the year 2013, last year, persecution of Christians worldwide doubled. In one year, it doubled. And what we experience here, again, as persecution in America, you know, uh, people not liking what we're doing or whatever, is really an annoyance in comparison to what they're having to go through there. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11 and 12, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He makes it clear here that if you follow him, you'll probably be persecuted. And indeed, he said in another place in the Gospel of John, the pupil's not greater than the teacher as they persecuted me, so they'll persecute you. So most of the world throughout the ages, and especially today, have undergone persecution. And you know, it's so easy to forget about that, living here in the comfort of America. But for some reason, for me, 9-11 was the wake-up call. You know, it's a wake-up call for a lot of us for a lot of reasons, but for me... My 
eyes started turning outward. And, and David and I began bring, praying this prayer, you know, and many of you have prayed it as well. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Raise your hand if you've prayed that prayer. Yeah. It's the most dangerous prayer you can ever it, pray. It'll wreck your life, won't it? <laughs> in a good way. But we began to start visiting places like the Sudan that God put on our heart. And, and I think as we began to visit these places, we began to realize what God's people were going through. And so I think last year you alerted our eyes to Syria. Well, it was when President Obama talked about the red line and if Syria crosses that, he'll bomb it. And, and I said to you, please pray because if he bombs Syria or does something else like that, it will only cause the next potential genocide in the world, which will be Syria. And sure enough, as ISIS has broken out, it has become a severe genocide. And when you know it, as we started praying for Syria, God took us to Lebanon and had us visiting the Syrian refugee camps. And it was interesting when the opportunity came to go to Lebanon, um, it didn't seem like the, the right time. You know, ISIS was on its march and you'd had a bunch of beheadings, but we just had felt like God had put it on our heart to pray for Syria and the Lebanese were ministering to them and we had the opportunity to go into the refugee camps. We thought, well, gosh, we've been praying for a year. How can we not go? So the prayer, I think, has paved the way for us with these, not just for us, but for our church. Many of you have prayed as well. And then God burdened our heart for India. You and I had been casually involved in India with giving for the last couple of decades, but mm -hmm. then it really grabbed our hearts and so we took two Christmas Eve offerings and gave it to Mission India to be used mm -hmm. for planting churches in some of the most hostile areas in India and we've planted over 700 churches for us still has in the nation of India particularly in the Hindu heartland where there is extreme persecution and so wouldn't you know it just as soon as we get involved there we get an invitation to go to India. Well and you know we had seen that map you know the infamous map that has all the red dots for places where people have never even heard the name of Jesus and you see the red dots kind of sprinkled around and then you get to India and it's like one red dot because 400 million people have never even heard of Jesus. It's a nation of 1.2 Billion, peop, uh, billion people, it is 82% Hindu, uh, about 13% Islam. Interestingly, the radical Hindus persecute the Christians and also the Muslims too. Uh, in case you don't know what Hinduism is, it, it has a, a worship of about 330 million gods. Uh, they have a caste system, the lowest being the Dalit caste, and then they go upwards to the highest class, the Brahmin class. Uh, they stay in their classes because of karma, which is the essence of Hinduism. Uh, karma believes that you are rewarded or disrewarded for how you've lived a previous life. So if you're in a Dalit lowest class system, you're being in your karma disrewarded for a bad life. If you are at the highest class system, you're being rewarded for a previous good life. You're being given what you are rewarded through your karma. Karma means you get what you deserve. And, and that inestimable theologian Bono said it well. There are two world's religions. You either have a relationship with God through karma or grace. And Christians, aren't you glad that it isn't all dependent upon karma? Aren't you glad that you don't get what you deserve? Because all of us would be in the lowest class system, wouldn't we? So you, you don't see much movement from lower class to upper class because they're getting what they deserve. It's their karma and they stay stuck. And, and interestingly, the Christian gospel is spreading most among the Dalit class, the lower class, because when they hear the message, for example, in Genesis 1, 20, uh, 1 26 and 27, that God creates all of us in his image. And when they hear the message through Jesus that the foot of the cross is, is level and that all people, male or female, Jew or Greek, rich or poor, all class systems are equal in the sight of God, it just sets them free. So many of them are coming to faith in Jesus as the gospel is being rightly proclaimed. You're right. The gospel is sweeping through the country. And now think for just a minute about India, okay? Because 
David said 1.2 billion. That means that one out of every six people on planet Earth live in India. And it's a nation about half the size of ours. So think, you know, crowded and extreme. And we grew to love the people and the place. But we were, you know, hit with the reality of this caste system. And so I want to share with you, David and I want to share with you, the story of one of our favorite new friends that we made in India. He actually was a member, is a member of the lower um, caste there, the Dalit. Um, his profession, he is a rag picker. And a rag picker basically means he fishes through the trash trying to find things that he can recycle. He went back into a village where the rag pickers live specifically for the purpose of ministering to them. And David and I grew to love him to the point that I think he's one of our new heroes. Yeah, Should yeah. we show him where they worship? Yeah, let's, this is the place where they worship each week. It's their home during the week. It's their worship place on the weekends. Yeah, Pastor Ravi lives in that and he ministers there in that tent. And, and Marilyn... We were invited to preach to 20 children, 20 yeah. adults mm -hmm. inside the tent, which is yeah. the next picture. And I want you to notice how orderly it is. You know, it looks kind of like chaos from the outside, but I want you to realize that it is meticulous inside. The wife, uh, Pastor Ravi's wife, has taken such good care, not only of the home, but of the children. The children are bright-eyed and thriving. The women that you see there are in really rough shape. They give most of their food to the children. Pastor Ravi and his wife have five, five children. children. Yeah, yeah, and the two boys want to be ministers. And at the end of the service, just like we do here, when we invite you to come be prayed for by leaders of the church, believing that God still does miracles today, there's power in the name of Jesus. We've seen miracles in this church. They invited uh, me to pray especially for their sick and their needy. Uh, it was mostly all women who came forth and asked for prayer. Mm -hmm. The one thing that hit me was that they looked very weak and their children look very robust. Yeah. And that's probably because yeah. their moms the gave yeah. all the food to the children. Yeah. And you and I both noticed that. Yeah. So we were deeply touched by this ministry. Uh, tell them about Pastor Ravi's sense of justice and his demand for justice. Well, I will, but I want to point out one thing first. You know, we are painting him as a hero, and I think you'll understand why in a minute, but the village people that are not Christians aren't so happy that he's there. So I want you to see some of the resistance he's bumping into first. Some of the neighboring people built a shrine to the elephant god next to his tent. It disappeared one day, and they're kind of coming after him in some way. So he's undergoing persecution, but this guy will not be stopped. Um, he noticed that his village people didn't have electricity, so he went on a hunger strike for days, and he got them electricity. Let's see if we can find the slide with the electricity. Yep, there you go. That's electricity in the village. So, uh, you know, you're kind of entering in your own risk. When you so a hunger strike for some weeks until yeah. they finally brought electricity to his village. And what's the next thing? It did? was a life changer. Then they only got water every few days by truck. And for some reason, the water truck was late in coming. And then it was another day late and another day late. So when it finally came, he let them deliver the water and then he commandeered the truck. And he said, you are not leaving until the, you know, until the government of this village brings us a well. And so they dug a borehole well for them. So now they have well, a well there and water. And he's just a, he's just a giant in he our eyes. He reminds us of the widow in Luke 18. Yeah. Some of you remember the story Jesus told. And she had received uh, injustice from an unjust judge. So she went and banged on his door and banged on his door and banged on his door until finally the unjust judge gave her the justice that she so desired. And we felt that way toward yeah. Pastor.
asked to rob water. He yeah. commandeered the truck and wouldn't yeah. move in the middle of the road until the yeah. government brought water to his village. He wanted electricity, so he went on a hunger strike yeah. and actually stepped on the steps of the government yeah. building and just stayed there in his hunger state until they finally brought electricity to his village. But you liked his sermon the most. We've got a slide of him, a picture of him preaching, and David just fell in love with him as a preacher, one preacher to the other. You'll have to tell him a little bit about his well, sermon. The reason being because he's from the Dalit class, and most of his people are Dalits, lower class, and, and again, they feel like they're worthless. They've been told they're worthless all their lives, that they're suffering karma from previous bad lives, and he gets up, and he says from Deuteronomy 28, you are the head and not the tail. <laughs> and then he says, you are living royal blood of the king of kings and lord of lords and they just break out into applause yeah. and you can just imagine what good news that is for their souls that they are in identity related to the eternal god of the universe and deeply loved by him and not in the lowest caste of all the systems it was good news so just now you probably imagine that he's really like a lion and, and big but i want you to see what he really looks like <laughs> the new best friends forever right <laughs> He's about 5'3", and I'm about 6'7", <laughs> 6'8", yeah. as you all know. And, yeah. um, but so you know what? Our new he, hero. <laughs> he, he's the David, and I'm the Goliath. <laughs> his faith is so huge, he put mine to shame. And so his church is waving goodbye to us. We want you to see the little congregation at the Bragg Pickers Church. The precious, precious, precious brothers and sisters in Christ, folks. They're our family of God. And you'll meet them in heaven, folks, yeah. because the money you gave at a Christmas Eve offering founded that church. And those folks yeah. will say thank you in heaven for letting them hear the yeah. gospel through your gracious financial gifts. Yeah. And, and, and that was part of the reason we went. is because Forest Hill, you people have been so generous with your offerings. And then Forest Hill as a, as a church has built this into its budget. And we thought we need to see and, and, and make sure that this investment is a good one. And so we wanted you to also see some of the very pastors that Forest Hill's donations went to help educate last year. We've got a little roundtable discussion going on here. We wanted you to see how seriously these guys take it. They came from hours and hours, sometimes days away, brought their little laptops. I mean, they had documented. They're supposed to visit 600 families a year and start two churches. And by golly, they came with their facts and figures and their laptops. Yeah, this happened at a Catholic retreat center, and, and they shared their stories. Uh, most of them were through translators that we understood. But a few spoke very good English, and mm -hmm. we were able to understand their story. There was one particular story, though, that stood out that grabbed our hearts that we wanted to share with all of you today. Yeah, and you know, some of you today here might even be kind of seeking about whether you even believe Christianity is real. And this story, I think, will probably really speak to you because when you kind of cut through all the different cultural norms, um, what you really want to know is, is Jesus real and does he still work today? Well, this guy thinks that he does because he was sitting there minding his own business in an area that had really never even heard of Jesus. He was selling liquor in a liquor store. He started to feel guilty for selling liquor and for drinking it because he said to himself, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, who he didn't even know existed, this is wrecking families. So what do I do? So he confessed this to a friend who happened to be a secret Christian. So the guy took him to church. Well, then he accepts Christ, gets thrown out of his house, continues to study the gospel, decides to be a minister, and so he starts a church. Only problem is in this area, there's a lot of superstition. So in this area, he had two church, well, they're now church members, but there were two people he was reaching out to. We'll call them Anita and Bob because we can't use their real names. But they, anyway, lived in this very rural area. They cultivated land, he said. I want to read some of this verbatim because I want you to see how seriously he took documenting this. He, he wrote this. He wrote this, and he sent us the documentation because we asked for it, and he also sent us a photo we'll show you in a minute. 
But anyway, so he said that they're living in this rural area. There's a problem in the family. You want to know what the problem is? Satan was influencing everything in the village. People were afraid to go out after dark, and here's why. Um, they called the place haunted. They claimed to hear screaming, and men and women, and I get this, I want you to hear this, men and women used to fall unconscious when they were walking through the village. Okay, so this woman, Anita, and her husband tried to get peace because this was not a very pleasant place to live. So they practiced sorcery, black magic. They went to um, different places to worship the many gods. They offered sacrifices, and here he listed them, chicken, goats, swine, etc. Then they consulted fortune tellers and palm readers, but their problem was increasing day by day. So while these things were happening, they had an older brother who just suddenly he said, expired, so he died. And then while he was being buried, they all came home, and the same evening, the brother's wife suddenly died. So you can understand, these people are frightened, right, and worried. So it was a very hard time. People were staying away from them in the village because they considered them to be cursed. Okay, so here we go. Anita and Bob still going to temples, observing rituals, trying to please other gods. And then he listed the gods, didn't he? Yeah. He started mentioning... There are 330 million in Hinduism. In yeah, case. and he lists about five whose names I can't pronounce. But anyway, he said they consulted many gurus, temple priests. They wore charms, worshipped the gods, but there was, he writes, no solution. So about this time, he says, we approached them with the gospel, but they refused, saying... Let us try a few more things first, and then we might listen. <laughs> kind of sounds like America, doesn't it? But um, after some days, okay, this was last spring, springtime of 2014, things were getting desperate. All of a sudden, Anita becomes unconscious. She was not able to open her mouth, and even her pulses were not working. And as he told us, she was dead. Everybody thought she had died. Brother Bob was disappointed with his gods and with his people, so he thought of giving Jesus one try. He called us to pray. When we prayed for her, she became all right within five minutes. They believed in Christ along with all the other family members. Immediately, they removed all their idols and worship material from their home. Remember, they probably had never even heard of the name of Jesus until this whole episode. At the present time, the whole family is having fellowship with us. They take part in the ministry, and they've opened the door of their house for the church. The whole family has taken water baptism in 2014 and witnessed Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now the whole family is happy in the Lord. Shall we show them the family church? And there's Pastor Steve sitting in the chair. He's a pretty happy guy as he shows us his church. And look at the next slide. If you want to know which one is the lady that got raised from the dead, there she is, the beautiful lady in the green. 35-year-old mother of three. And he just wanted us to know that this was serious business. That's why he took the care to so, document so it. So skeptics might say, well, she wasn't really dead. You know, the pulse was just faint, and they missed it. And the well, response would well, be his response from them, is, what would they say? They say, we see death all the time. You know, we have to deal with death every day. So, we know when someone's dead. Yeah. And it's really fam uh, familiar to the book of Acts, for those of you who read that book. You know, when God started the church, the early church, he would do it often with a huge miracle mm -hmm. so that he wouldn't have to do many miracles anymore and we'd walk by faith and not by sight. And, and this kind of experience mm -hmm. that we see in India happening all the time, often what begins the church is an extraordinary right. miracle that gathers people together right. to believe in Jesus. And remember, this is an, a region, one of those regions where they'd never even heard of Jesus. So, you know, you can understand why this is happening. And this was not the only story we heard of a resurrection 
We heard of one guy that was on a funeral pyre, and people prayed for him, and he was resurrected. So you need to understand, this is what God is doing there. You remember from some of our speakers from the Middle East, story after story of Jesus appearing to people in dreams and visions. Well, it seems like the method in India is miracles and resurrections. So it's just an exciting time. But when they go out, they're fully aware that they're going to get persecuted. And uh, we we have a picture of a a church that was burned out uh, recently by one of the churches we planted. And and here is another picture right after the the church being burned because of uh, the anger of people toward the Christian faith. Yeah, and some of this persecution broke out six days after we left. We got these um, uh, photos from Mission India just two, three days ago. And what's interesting is... um, you know, this is happening more and more, but the way they put it, when they tell you the story of what happens, they go, well, our church got burned and we got beaded. It means beaten up. They're used to getting beaten up. And, and Marilyn and I went and I spoke to about 250 pastors that, again, your gift has prepared them to go plant churches over the last year. They've been in training, so I was a part of their final preparation and the, their graduation service. We want to show you a, a brief clip of them worshiping on the last day. Now, they know they're going out. They know there's going to be resistance. They know they're probably going to be persecuted, but notice the joy in their worship. It, it puts us to shame. It really does. Watch this. I preached to them and they got their certificates of graduation and the last part of the service was the benediction here's how they did the benediction they took the word hallelujah in case you don't know that comes from the two Hebrew words hallel which means praise and Yah, Yahweh God praise God and here is their battle cry yell that they used for the benediction that parenthetically we're going to use today as their way of getting ready to go out into the world watch this Like a battle cry, hallelujah, and they're ready to go into war for the Lord. Um, Honey, this was an experience we'll never forget, but I'm sure people here listening to us want to know some practical application. What are the things they can do to take away how to care for the persecuted church? Well, you can just tell that, you know, they do not want our pity. Isn't that interesting? They want us to understand what they're going through, and they want to be remembered. They don't want our pity, but they do want our prayer. Um, Their joy should inspire us. Like I said, David and I came away with new heroes. But the first thing we would like for you to do is just to remember them, simply to remember them in prayer. Hebrews 13, 3. Would you read this verse with me, please? Remember those in prison as if you were in prison with them. Remember those who are mistreated as if you were being mistreated. Have empathy toward them. Understand what they're going through and then pray for them. That's what they want most. And prayer started this whole journey, I think. David, would we'd agree for Forest Hill, prayer is sort of what has led many of you to different places. But we thought it would be really good to give you a way to pray for a specific country. So we're continuing to give this handout. The Bible's clear. Yeah. Pray for the persecuted church. So each one of you should have received this when you entered. It gives you the top 50 
countries in the world where persecution of Christians is taking place. And we want all of you to take a minute each day and to pray for a, a country. And here's how I want you to pray, okay? If you are 20 years old, okay, you have number one, North Korea. If you're 21 years old, you have Somalia, okay? If you're 22 years old, you have number three, Syria. If you're 24, number four, Iraq. And just move up to the point where if you are 70 years old, you've got number 50, Niger, Okay, we're a multi-generational church, okay? We have young and old here, praise God. And now you're asking me the question, but, but if I'm older than 70 and younger than 20, for which nation do I pray? And my answer, pick one. <laughs> just, just pick one. But make, that way we have all 50 nations every day being prayed for for the persecuted church. And just a minute a day. I mean, we really have found that there is something amazing. When you just commit to a minute a day, well, then the Lord just starts bringing you the remembrance of this nation at odd times. And you actually set your clock. I set my cell phone for a minute a day. Well, for noon, because I pray for Pastor Saeed and then for another pastor in Syria every day, right at noon. And it's just amazing how, you know, it goes beyond that. God just keeps reminding me. But that minute, I think, is sort of your stake in the ground. And like her book said, and, and all of her copies practically have been taken by you praise God when you start praying for a country be careful you just might end up having to go there <laughs> yeah, you never never know so well the second thing second is point. we said not only remember those that are being persecuted but resist you know resist the devil and, and it's odd to think that how you live your Christian life here impacts this worldwide war against evil but it does first Peter 5 8 and 9 would you read it with me be self-controlled and alert your enemy, the, the devil, devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And when you are standing firm, just to be obedient in your faith on a daily basis, you know, time in God's word, time in prayer... I don't understand it, but in some way, when you join the resistance, it impacts this global worldwide war, I think, against evil. But it also, I think, on a practical level, just makes you more alert so that all of a sudden you go, oh, you know, suddenly I'm just reminded to lift up these great brothers and sisters in India. You know, you're just in the game. You, you see them as the, the battlefront, and you see yourself as the home front. And tell the story about the Western person who said to someone in the persecuted church that they're yeah. not persecuted. Some Western Christian said to one of the persecuted church members, well, you know, we live in the West, and so we're not so bothered by persecution. I mean, we're sorry that you're going through it, but we just don't have that problem. And the persecuted church member looked at them and said, you mean the devil doesn't exist in America? <laughs> so I think the point was, you know, we just need to be sober and alert and realize that, that the enemy is always looking for someone to devour. And that as we stand firm, in some way, we're helping them to stand firm. Stand in solidarity with them when we resist the devil here. Third point. Well, we always like to make things practical and say put feet on your prayers. And so... I think if you're going to pray for the persecuted church, you need to be ready to respond. And that doesn't mean everybody hops on a plane and goes overseas. But on some level, we hope that as you are praying for somebody, a church that God puts on your heart, that you'll learn about them. Get online. The Internet. David's got a great book that he recommends. Yeah, it's uh, called the Operation, Operation World. World. Thank you. It's a thick book, but it goes through the 192 nations on the face of the earth and gives you information about how many Christians there are there, the amount of persecution that takes place. It's a wonderful resource 
resource in case you don't have it. And it'll help your prayers be more strategic. And again, we just say prayer works. Yeah, prayer does work. And also think about your money. We recognize here that this money that you give to the church and give to missions organizations is a wonderful way of you sending yourself. We, we know you work hard for your money all week long. And the money you get that you give is sending yourself. And that is not irrelevant whatsoever. That's right. Your dollars do make a difference. Mm -hmm. And then for some of you, you know, you're going to get nudged and you might just go to one of these countries and, and be open to that. We are sending a team, Forest Hill is sending a team to Haiti on Tuesday, but people in Forest Hill are going over places all over the We time. have 30 missions trips, short-term trips planned in 2015. We're going to preserve the core. Uh, Columbia, South America is, is associated with the Fort Mill campus. Oh, by the way, that's the only country in the Western Hemisphere mm -hmm. that persecutes Christians. Some of that is the fact that Christians come to faith in Jesus and suddenly they get self-control in their lives and they get off drugs and the drug cartels don't like that. Mm -hmm. So they persecute the church and Christians because of that. But we're going to go in the Dominican Republic, Haiti, the Caribbean Rim, continually Central Africa, still a core, India, obviously. Soon Lebanon will have a new relationship with them. So we're preserving the core. But maybe God's calling you on that short-term missions trip. Or maybe God's stirring your heart to be a part of a permanent commitment to go into the world. We've had four families in Forest Hill over the last several months go to Japan, Germany, Cuba and Senegal, West Africa. And maybe God's stirring your heart right now. If so, come meet with our leader on staff, John Parker. He'll begin to talk that through with you. We have missions organizations we partner with. Maybe God's beginning to stir your heart to go in some powerful ways. Let's read this verse together. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in Every, every good, good work. work. Look at the all and every. That God will take care of you. That as you give your life away, God will take care of you. That is his promise to us. Folks, may I end this message by doing something that I think is very important. As you saw in the book of Obadiah, God said that every nation that persecutes his people will be judged. They'll have to drink of the cup of his wrath. And that is truth of all the nations. It'll happen on the day of the Lord, and we'll conclude that message next week. But before I leave to you, I have a commitment to preach the gospel in every single message. I want to make sure the cross of Christ is lifted up in every possible way. In Mark, the 14th chapter, verse 36, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Abba, Father, da Daddy, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Do you see the cup? You see the cup? For personally, all of you, you need to understand this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God became one of us and lived the perfect life in Jesus that we could never live for ourselves. And he went to the cross. And what does the cross mean? It means at that moment when death occurred and he took all the sins upon the world upon himself, he drank of the cup of God's wrath that you and I should have drunk. That God's anger against our rebellion and our treason against him, we should have been the ones drinking of the cup of God's wrath, which means eternal separation from him. But God so loved the world that his son, Jesus, God in human flesh, drank the cup of God's wrath so that we wouldn't have to. In the garden, the thought of taking the sins of the world upon himself when he knew that the Father would turn his back on him on the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The thought of that moment when he would not have perfect unity with the Father because he took all the sins of the world upon himself. So burdened his heart, he asked the question, isn't there another way? All things are possible with you. Isn't there another way? And of course, the Father whispered in his ear and said, no, son, this is my will for you. And that's when he said, not my will, but yours, O Lord. Oh, dear friends, if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please do so now. What you're doing is you're basically saying, I believe 
that God took the punishment for my sins upon himself, something that he didn't deserve, and now gives me salvation, eternal life, and the forgiveness of my sins, something I don't deserve, and I receive it not by karma, but by grace, grace through faith. It is the most powerful message in the world. It will transform your heart. It will make you a new creation. I pray if you've not received Jesus today that you would do so before you leave this place. Love of my life, thank mm -hmm. you for partnering with me all these years. Would you thank her again for being up here with me? Thank you. And would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I do thank you for Marilyn. I do thank you for all the times in our 36 plus years of marriage when I've been discouraged, she would encourage me. When I was despairing, she would keep me focused and not give up. Thank you for her. Being the mother of our three children in such a powerful way and the fact they love you, I know is largely because she loves you so much. Lord, I pray for any person here who does not know you. All you have to do is say, I believe that Jesus drank of the cup of the wrath of the Father so I wouldn't have to. And you receive the gift of the forgiveness of your sins that Jesus took upon himself, something he didn't deserve, to give you the gift of eternal life and the forgiveness of your sins, something you don't deserve. Just receive Jesus today. And I pray, Father, for the persecuted church. May we walk in solidarity with all those around the world who suffer daily because they love you. And may we be forever a church with an outward focus, inwardly deep in you, but with an outward focus trusting that you're working all things together for good. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Would you stand and let us speak to nations to be free in Jesus.